You are listening to episode 143 of the Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody. Here at the Game Deflators Podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we... In today's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Yeah, you seem to enjoy that game a little too much today, man. Dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Blue is my jam. So this week, Ryan played a little bit of Blue's Clues. That was his punishment for not completing the in, not inflation, deflation, not completing your new game's resolution of what was it, Persona 5, Persona 4. Dude, giving up has never felt so good. Yeah, it was Persona 4 Golden on PS Vita. For longtime listeners will know that I've been struggling to try to bring myself to play that game for almost two years now. And... Um, it was a great game. That first 12 hours of that game was absolutely awesome. And then I just went on to want to do other things. And then there was just this pressure in the back of my mind forever that was like, well, if you're going to play games, you might as well play that game. That's the only game you're allowed to play. And then I didn't do that for a long time. And I felt bad about it. And then I finally gave up. And now everything's awesome because I have Game Pass. Yeah, but now you got to play Odyssey. Uh, yeah, but that'll be yeah. fine. Well, that's what you said about Persona. Yeah, but Odyssey's not a 60-hour game, and from what I've heard from other people, I'm already like halfway through it. True, but you still got to play it. Yeah. All right. It'll happen. Well, as uh, always, let's jump into our current pickups, or recent pickups, and currently playing here on the Game Slaters podcast. Uh, so I'll start. Uh, I picked up um, no video games, actually, this past week, because I already called out the Ghost of the Tale and Hellpoint uh, that I got for uh, as a gift. But I did pick up a uh, magic uh, promotional card. It's It's been a magical week. It has been a magic week. So Ryan and I decided to play some magic, um, a magic tournament, really. We were going to draft at one of the local shops here and draft and kick off. But I luckily had three legacy decks on hand for myself, you and Justin. And we got to do a little... Friend of the show, Justin, was in attendance, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last week he was on the show. Uh, but yeah, we got to play some magic last week. And uh, dude, it kind of got me into uh, just... You know, looking at some random decks I could start creating out of, you know, all of my cards that I do have and um, kind of thinking of some new homebrews. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was my first time having like an in-store play experience with Magic and it was only the three of us and three other dudes. So it was very small. It's not like we went to like Friday Night Magic, which would be absolutely a lot. So, I mean, I'm still kind of dipping my toes in getting back in, you know. Hopefully I can start doing some more stuff. It, I'm I'm fully ready to get back in, but I want to do it smart. We were just talking earlier today. Like, I think I'm done buying some packs. Like, I bought a couple Strixhaven collector booster packs, and they're super cool. And the cards and the art are super neat looking. But at this point, like, really, if I want to be smart about this and not go way over the top, I'm better off just buying singles online. Well, and you can always, uh, before you buy singles online, hit me up because I may have what you need. Uh, I've got way too many cards, man. i got to start downsizing, as you saw. And, uh, yeah, you actually picked up four Masks of Avacyn for mm -hmm. me, so that was interesting. Um, let's see, what else? I did pick up some new Dragon Shield sleeves, though. i got to show you those. They have that nice matte finish on the front, so it's like mm -hmm. a, a no-gloss or no-glare, and uh, I really enjoy those. Uh, but as far as currently playing is concerned... Um, Played this past week with Justin. I played Amnesia. Uh, what is it? Dark Descent or Descent mm -hmm. to Darkness? Forget the title. But the we, Dark Descent. I dark believe. Descent. Yeah. So we played some Amnesia. We got past the uh, machine shop 
in that one. We didn't beat the game um, just because we didn't have enough time and so much stuff with family here and everything else. We just, there wasn't like a dedicated period where you could sit down and just play it, but we got through about half the game. And, you know, I got to say, man, it's not as scary as people make it out to be. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think it is. Yeah, like there's a lot of people say it's such a scary game. It's, you know, one that people quit like a third of the way through and they just can't enjoy it because it's just too creepy. I wasn't honestly that scared. Justin was pretty scared, uh, but I think he gets scared pretty easily on things like this anyways. So I took advantage of that during multiple playthroughs on his end where I would just kind of grab his side really quick in the middle of darkness. That was fun. I know people that think Resident Evil's scary. Yeah. And then a lot of the times it's not. Like, I mean, the... RE2 remake when Mr. X is like chasing you around the police station. Like there's so much tension there. It feels scary, but it's not like, like RE8 is not scary. No. Like it's so campy horror and like kind of like fun, weird, like, oh yeah. You know, like it's all rooted in horror, but it's not actually horrific. Yeah. I just... You know, I didn't find that one to be pretty scary. And I think it, it really depends on what you find to be scary, right? So if a game like, say, for example, Alien, some people find a game to be extremely scary. I at first thought it was a little scary, you know, that particular game. But after a while, just kind of got to the point of like, okay, I've got this tracker. I know where the alien is. Like, if it jumps out, it jumps out. And it was more like, ah, crap type of moments. Once was- you once it, you gamify it and it becomes just a system to interact with, it loses a lot of that emotional yeah and so that was kind of with me with uh amnesia it was like more or less it was it was oh shit oh shit moments yeah and whenever like things are shaking like crap i gotta like quickly find uh a candle light up or like when one of the monsters kind of would come out it was like okay what's the strategy behind this and like getting past this monster it wasn't there wasn't a lot of fear that was invoked into me while playing this game whereas with justin there was now i can tell you something like fatal frame Mm -hmm. i definitely find a lot scarier because it's just like, it's ghosts. I'm not a big fan of ghosts. So for me, a Fatal Frame game is going to have a hell of a lot more fear tied to it than like random, you know, jump scares tied to amnesia. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I mean, we enjoyed it. What we played was actually pretty good. Uh, I did enjoy the game quite a bit and I will likely finish it up. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And then I did play like a little bit of God of War, but not too much, like just a tad. Um, with family here, it was just kind of difficult to, to do anything. Vin Diesel will be proud of me, by the way, for mentioning family so many times. Yeah. I will I will note that. Uh, but yeah, that's it for my current, current pickups and currently playing. Uh, what did you deal with? Uh, so I picked up The Ascent, and I haven't played it yet, but I'm going to play it with my friends. They've got computers, and I now have an Xbox so I can play some cross-platform stuff with them. So I'm looking forward to that. That looks like a dope game. Uh, Skill Up came up with a review for it a couple weeks ago. Got me really excited for it. Um, and then, yeah, this week we went and we did the magic thing. Um, I played some more Halo uh, from the Master Chief Collection. And it's so cool. I was messing around with it. And I hit whatever the Xbox equivalent of the select button is. And it instantly just toggles it between... The original graphics and the new updated graphics. Oh, nice. It just like instantly. And I was, oh my God. And I just played the rest of that like hour session or whatever, just toggling constantly every time I would round a corner or something. It's like the amount of extra work that they put into the environment. It's not just like they up some textures and stuff. Like there's whole new like geometry to the designs of stuff. Like it looks 
so incredible. And I was like, wow, this is such a neat feature. And I've heard of that feature being in remakes, but nothing that I've ever played. And I'm a big fan of it. I think it's really cool to be able to get both experiences and to be able to instantly switch back and forth. And I don't know if that's just a modern, you know, next gen thing, or if that is on because Master Chief Collection came out for Xbox One. So I got to assume that it's on there as well, you know, as a feature. Yeah, I, I would assume so. I personally don't play much Xbox. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I just literally got a 360, what, like last year? So that's kind of sad, actually, when you think about it. Uh, but no, that sounds good, dude. And uh, I've been wanting to play some Halo. I've been itching for that for a long time. So, you know, if I end up getting a, finally get a GPU, maybe I'll look to play that with you at some point. Well, I mean, you've got some kind of graphics card in here, right? <laughs> you don't have any graphics, just so, the Intel built in? So, get this. Uh, no, I didn't buy a graphics card, but it was super cheap. So, Justin had his laptop, which is actually running a 3060 in his. I think his laptop was 1600 bucks. So, you got the NVIDIA 3060. Mine, I don't know what the hell mine is, but we decided to run a, a benchmarking program to see how it came out. And his computer, his laptop was running at like 1080p, 160 frames per second or something like that on the benchmarking. Uh, mine was running 12, 12 frames, frames per, per second. second. Okay, so yeah, you probably want to <laughs> yeah. step it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and I want to get a like a dope, slim form gaming laptop sometime. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I would say get a PC and then just custom build. But the problem is, is that you can't get your hands on a damn GPU at this point. Yeah, but if you so, buy one that's already built into a laptop, you don't have to worry about that. True, and plus, I just, I don't ever feel the need to have a tower again. Like, I like the portability of a laptop. I'm not going to sit down and do anything serious. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, for me, it was more so we've got the podcast. I can do work stuff on here, uh, cataloging of games, magic cards, all that type of stuff. I do a lot on this computer. So for me, a tower is kind of nice. And we do have a laptop. It's not a super powerful one. Um, but then again, I mean, my computer is not super powerful given that the graphics card is absolute garbage. Yeah. Uh, but, dude, once I get a graphics card in this bad boy, man, things are going to be looking up on this thing. I'll be playing a lot of games when I can. Uh, but let's, uh, start thinking about what we're talking about here for the rest of the episode. So we've got some articles this week, uh, that are pretty interesting. First one is a PS5 dev kits that, uh, quickly were pulled from eBay. So I guess somebody listed some dev kits on eBay. Uh, next is going to be a sealed copy of Super Mario Bros, uh, sold for $2 million. So that beats out the record that was just set crazy. a couple months ago. People are crazy. And then we're also going to be looking at the top 10 weirdest video game bosses. Or really, I guess, yeah, weirdest video game enemies or something yeah. like that. This um, is a funny one. Yeah, that one is a pretty funny one. But first, uh, of course, you're listening to our podcast on your favorite podcast application right now. Go ahead and subscribe and find us on Apple Podcasts. I, I thought of a new thing, actually. What is that? So you're listening on your favorite. Listen on your second favorite? Right now. No, no. I want you to go out and find a new podcast application out there that you don't use. And I challenge you to sign up for an account and follow us on there. And if you can't follow us on there, let us know and we'll shout you out and then we'll be on there. And then you can listen twice as much. I don't know if folks are going to go for that, but they can leave us a review on there of five stars or more if possible. 
Uh, but yeah, subscribe on your app and subscribe on any other apps that you might be listening to, such as Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Overcast, and CastBox, and then find us on thegamedeflators.com, as well as social media at thegamedeflators, Facebook and Instagram, at gamedeflators on Twitter. But let's take it away. PS5 dev kits quickly pulled from eBay. This is, I think, a Kotaku article by Ian Walker. Yeah, so um, this, as soon as I saw this, I was like, okay, I'm sure it would have been way too expensive because, I mean, a retail PS5 is still super overinflated to be bought online. So I can't even imagine, like, what this was going to be listing for. Uh, but honestly, I would rather own one of these dev kits than what the PS5 retail looks like. I think the Flying V is kind of neat for it. And, like, going back and taking a look at it now, I mean... Obviously, it was not ever going to be what they were going to market sell, but like it's kind of interesting that there is a history that we don't really. Oh, wait, no, it does say so. Indicates two consoles managed to reach 3,373 US dollars after 12 bits, so that's yeah. pretty expensive. Yeah, that was, but like, uh, the added power and stuff that's in these dev kits, I wonder if it's enough to make cyberpunk work. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty bad. Uh, you know, what I found interesting was, you know, they were listed and then pulled from eBay pretty quickly. I don't think the article mentioned, like, like I said, there were serial numbers and stuff tied to it. So with that being the case, I mean, there's got to be some sort of record. Is there, like, some sort of repercussion on that developer that, you know, they're going to be facing? I don't know facing? they will know. Uh, well, I mean, the serial number, Sony would know who Did they, they shipped it Did they put the serial to. number on Yeah, there? it said in the article that serial numbers were included within the photos to show like guess proof of like authenticity. But if that's the case, what are the repercussions from Sony? Like, are they going to put some sort of penalty on the developer for putting up their dev kit? Uh, is it a, somebody that's gone like, you know, gone under and they're just trying to make a quick buck because they've gone under as a small studio. Like what's the situation there? I wonder. Well, yeah. And it's, it's also interesting too, because um, dev kits for older consoles will kind of get passed around on eBay and stuff. And while they're not like a retail product and you know, they might not really want that kind of stuff out there. Like it's going to get out there eventually. And if it's older stuff, they wouldn't mind. This is just an issue because it's so close to launch still. And then there's the, um, the fact that like they just reached out to eBay and asked them to pull this. Yeah. Like there's no rule on eBay. There's no, you know, there's plenty of previous history. Like, there's really by no means a good reason that eBay should have felt pressed to comply with that. Well, but unless for some reason they did, unless there are some sort of terms of service or some sort of agree or, you know, contract in place with that developer that they aren't allowed to, you know, sell that particular kit within a certain period of time. Uh, or that it has to go back to Sony. Who knows? I mean, what the overall process is there. But I mean, yeah, you're right. We've seen developer kits hit online all the time. There's developer kits. I would like to and... see more. Like, I would like to go back. Like, maybe in the future, at some point, we can go back and take a look at like some of like the pricier dev kits that have sold and kind of look at them side by side versus what their you know final retail version came out looking like. That would be a, like a cool episode to do. Yeah, it'd be interesting to check out. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I don't know enough about dev kits, you know, to really, to really talk too much on it. But like, if you're listening and, and you know about it, definitely let us know. 
uh, your experience with dev kits and what you've seen in the past. Uh, I do think that this is a pretty interesting situation given, you know, like you said, the newness of this and the fact that it is so close to the launch. Like, why would a dev kit already be hitting eBay? Like, are they not still devving it? I, that's what I said. I think it, <laughs> I think the it's maybe a studio went under and instead of returning something to Sony or, or something along those lines, they decide to go ahead and just sell it. Uh, and then Sony, of course, saying, nope, it's not going on eBay. But then again, what happens at that point is they're like, a legal dispute where you know Sony has to um, try and file to get its product back. I mean, who knows? So it, it's definitely interesting and uh, something to really, I guess, keep an eye on. Uh, see if anything else kind of comes up from this. Uh, the next article we've got though is a even oh, crazier. <laughs> yeah, even crazier. Uh, a sealed copy of Super Mario Bros. has sold for record-breaking two million. Uh, this is by looks like I Boniface or Bonifac of uh, Engate. And gadget sorry uh so we talked about this a while back where a sealed copy of super mario bros went for like 1.6 million or something like that that was mario 64 no right? that was Wasn't that it? was a that was super mario bros was that was mario bros yeah so it was literally the same thing so super mario bros sold for like 1.6 uh, million and then this just sold i think it said it was a 98 a plus it was at 9.8 yeah yeah 9.8 sorry yeah, i'm thinking the other one so 9.8 or whatever a plus through wada and it just sold for two million dollars which makes you think you know what's going to be the going rate for a 10 moving forward or Dude, a 9.9 don't these collectors know there's expensive games out there like little samson that they could be buying like if you got like a- who's who's doing this who is fooling these people and like it was interesting that this wasn't like an individual seller. This is like some group collective that everybody partly owns the copy and then like bids it out in a vote to where they decide whether or not to sell on it. And like they pat, they bought it for like, I think it was like 140,000 and then rejected like a 300,000. And now, I mean, obviously that paid off because they made bank off of it. Yeah. And here's the thing, man, if you can afford to pay $2 million for a copy of super Mario bros, you could probably afford the little Samson's. 1.56 million was for Super Mario 64. Oh, was it? Yeah. There was, I I thought there was a, a, well, that might've been like the record for a video game, but I could have sworn there was a, we talked about a really expensive Mario Bros. Like last year or something. Okay. Well, regardless, I think it sold for like a million bucks back then too. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll have to look back at that one, but regardless, man, I mean, you're talking a 9.8 a plus. So when you start thinking about 9.9 or even a future 9.8, what's going to be the going rate here? I mean, are we going to see this going up higher and higher? Is it going to stagnate? And this is kind of the ceiling. I think there's just some people out there that like just have stupid, don't care money or uh, they're trying to pull some kind of something, or maybe it's like, maybe somebody's out there and like, this has to be the best copy that exists. Like, I'll just pay top dollar for this now, and no matter what, there's never going to be a better one so I could set my own price down the road. Like, it, there's no way that this continues to be, like, a feasible thing where people just trade up, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars in value by going across. Like, that's just not how the video game market really works. Like, generally, we've got enough information out in the world and enough copies of things that you can realistically, you know, 
pay a marketable price. Like the fact that it's graded at a 9.8 is the only thing that you can hang any kind of value on whatsoever. Well, and then like how many other sealed copies of his game exist out in the market? Are they registered somehow? Like that rating system? Like, is there a way to know how many other 9.8s there even are? Yeah, there would be. uh, Because that type of stuff would be cataloged, you know, by WADA most likely. But, you know, what I wonder is like how many other sealed copies of a game exist in the market right now? Like if, if you're sitting there and you know you have a sealed copy of Super Mario Bros. that just sold for 2 million, are you going to have another like... Dude, 10 or 20 like, come out, you know? I guarantee you Nintendo has like a warehouse like that Indiana Jones movie with just like one crate of new sealed old stock of every game they've ever made. Just one pallet lined up in a huge warehouse. And every once in a while, they just say, let one of them go. <laughs> and that's how things like this happen. Oh, man. Yeah, can you imagine that, dude? They just kind of, like, crack open that new pack, and you just have this guy with, like, blue gloves reaching in to pull it out, and the this one looks like for one. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I can honestly... I would not put that past Nintendo to have a warehouse of sealed games Well, crates. it's like, how much were people buying those Animal Crossing Switches for last year? And now you can just go casually find one. Yeah. I saw one the other day, actually. Uh, well... Let us know in the comments your thoughts on this and and really just the entire sealed market and how this is kind of shaping out because it's gotten kind of stupid. I mean, there's people literally selling like Breath of the Wild on the Wii U for like $900 to $1,000 sealed right now. That is so stupid. I have my sealed copy, but, you know, I'm not going to get it graded anytime soon. And I I damn well won't be able to sell it for $1,000. Did you get your... Devil's Third grade? Yeah. Not yet. I I haven't messed with it yet, but I need to. Yeah, that's uh, that's a goal. Once I get some more credit card reward points, uh, I'll be putting that money towards a little wad of sealed and see how it goes. Uh, all right, let's jump into this next piece here, man. Uh, this is going to be the ten most WTF monsters in video games, the so weirdest enemies ever. And this is uh, Kevin. It looks like Finehouse of uh, Gamer Anks. So Game Ranks, Game Ranks, dude. I am like blind right here like <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm just trying to like see and i have my old glasses on and oh my god it's okay like so, so tiny. here i'll run through and kind of give a quick breakdown so he covered some interesting monsters that i never really thought of like so at the first image on this article is of the monster house from final fantasy 7 which got like a cool boss treatment and stuff in the remake and people are like oh that's neat so um this list has a bunch of stuff I've never heard of. So uh, the first one on here is Devil Sonic the Hedgehog from All Bleed. Ill Bleed. Ill Bleed. Ill Bleed. Yeah. And it's called uh, Zo- Zodic the Hellhog. And it's just a giant demon Sonic. Um, that, that one actually caught me off guard. I hadn't played Ill Bleed before. And when I saw that, I just I had to chuckle. When I yeah. saw Demon Sonic, I'm like, you know, you could probably make a whole game out of Demon Sonic. It's got like the weird, like one eye, but kind of two eyes yeah. thing going on. It looks just like Sonic. Uh, next up, the Torpedo Kids from Resident Evil Dead Aim. This was a funny one to like read. It's basically like some enemy that shoots out like little monstrous, like fetus face projectiles at you. Yeah. They call them Torpedo Kids. Yeah, that one actually looked pretty funny. Um, 
Next up, uh, you might know this one. I don't think I ever ran into this. Uh, the Pagan Tree from Dark Souls 2. I recall running into that one, but Dark Souls 2, I found it odd that they even included that as one of the weird monsters because there's so many weird monsters in that yeah. series. Uh, I guess it's probably one of the only monsters that doesn't, like, you can't fight back. There, There's, like, this weird, like, nasty, like, larva-type thing in one of the... I forget which one. I think it's Dark Souls 2 or Dark Souls 3. There's, like, this fat larva monster that's in the game, too. Like, I would have put that way above this one. You know, for... In terms of, like, weirdness, yeah. This one is definitely not as weird as some of the other bosses I faced. Or Rom. Yeah. Uh, this next one is uh, Final Fantasy VII. So this is what made the list instead of the Hell House is the Triceratops mech, which is like an enemy in a weird area that's like optional. And it just looks like some kid stuck like half his Triceratops on top of his tank treads and made it a monster. So maybe this one will get a cool Final Fantasy VII remake boss battle too. Uh, the next one, I've been wanting to play this game because I hear really good things about it and I wouldn't, you know, be inclined to finish it, I'm sure, because it is a big JRPG, but I've never played any of the Yakuza games. Have you? Uh, I own them all, but I haven't played them yet. They're supposed to be like really out there and have some like wild silliness going on. And this one, especially because it's a turn-based RPG versus like the live action kind of beat them up, you know running around gta but i could have sworn that i could have sworn that yakuza was a action rpg i mean there's like i don't know i've never played I think it. it's, it's action it's got like a whole big developed world but you also run around and like fight guys in the street and yeah, i think it's action i haven't played it yet so i mean i can't speak to it but i'm pretty sure it's an action-based game i don't think it's turn-based no, well, this one is. Oh, that one is? Yeah, okay. Yakuza 7 Like a Dragon is a turn-based uh, okay. JRPG. So they that, adapted the series to that. Yeah, that's point. the change then, because it was more like Japanese GTA yeah. in a sense, and then it's moved into this. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I haven't played this one at all. Yeah, so there's a giant Roomba, giant vacuum monster that you have to fight at one point, and then later on it becomes like a super hard optional boss down in the sewers. So huh. check that one out. Uh, next one, the Gouda, G-U-T-A from Halo Reach. Uh, I never played Halo Reach. I never played really past Halo 3. I played a little bit of 4. I never played ODST. I never played Wars. I never played... I just played the core trilogy of Halo games for the most part. Yeah, ODST was pretty interesting. That was probably the last one I played, and only because I had a buddy and we would play whatever mode it was where you could uh, beat like hordes of enemies coming out at you. But yeah, Halo 3 was realistically the last Halo I played too. But he says that this is like the only like monster creature enemy in Halo that's like just some native fauna. Like everything else is like Flood or, you know, the Covenant or I think there's some weird like mech robot sentient enemies in like Halo 4 and 5 that I don't know anything about. But like... It is weird to see Master Chief just standing next to this, like, big, super generic-looking, like, it looks like the Chocobo Thief, almost, but, like, <laughs> less colorful. Like, if the Chocobo Thief got mixed with the monster from, uh, um, gosh, Cloverfield. Yeah. Kind of. Real question is, why isn't Chocobo Thief on this? Chocobo on this Thief's list? weird. Yeah, he's weird. 
Go on, go on. Uh, next up, this one always bugged me too. I always thought this was weird. The Jason like mask from uh, Super Mario Land Two that just walks around with the knife in its head, and it's like, is that a Jason Voorhees like hockey mask, dude? Because it's like, it's a, it's bizarre that there's like this whole Halloween theme like level worlds in in that game to begin with, and then like this like jason mask walking around i was like okay that was a weird one you know what we need is uh the teens that have created jason need to issue nintendo a cease and desist yeah exactly i'm you know a taste of their own medicine yeah that exactly that type of stuff bugs me so much like there's oftentimes you'll see in nintendo games where it's like a blatant ripoff of like some sort of common day you know thing or some sort of like pop culture reference that's tied in there but it's just enough nintendo to make it be like yeah oh yeah that's totally what that is but nothing you can do about it right so yeah it would be interesting to see if uh one day that kind of bites them in the ass get that nice cease and desist coming through yeah number eight uh just a big dog this is from bloodstained ritual of the night i played a little bit of bloodstained ritual of the night i did get the switch edition which had a lot of issues and i think most of those issues have probably been patched by now but probably. i haven't really gone back and given it a fair shake again uh, but this was a big Kickstarter game, you know, by the guy who did uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night and stuff. And it's supposed to be like a real return to form and people really dig it. But some of those Kickstarter goals allowed big backers to be able to come up with their own ideas for things to go into the game. Some of which were enemies that are just a big dog. What do we uh, got next? Next up, more hockey. Not Jason this time. Final Fantasy VIII, The Slappers. Apparently in Final Fantasy VIII, I've never played Final Fantasy VIII. John's over there laughing. Have you played Final Fantasy VIII? Uh, dude, I beat Final Fantasy VIII like three times. So you remember these guys. I remember these guys, and I do question why they are on here, and the T-Rex that is randomly in uh, the garden is not here. So Oh, there's just a rando Rex? There's literally like, you just, I mean, there's other dinosaurs and shit in the game, if I recall, but you're within like the actual school. Okay. So it's like this giant floating school. I think it's oh, and a random enemy is just that there's a T-Rex. So you, you like walk into this area and it kind of feels like Jurassic park in a sense. Like you've got the cabling and such on the side and you walk in and a T-Rex is just broken out. And I'm just thinking, what fucking school has a T-Rex chilling out in this like one garden space? Dude, this is like the futuristic sequel to Jurassic park. Like, what if we did Jurassic Park again, but this time we put the amusement park on a floating island? And then taught school in there, too. Like, that's literally what it is. And it was just, to me, that was a weird enemy. The hockey guys are weird, but I think the t it's a T-Rexar, I think is what it was called. Uh, it's definitely a lot more weird for that game. And then finally, number 10 from Dusk, which I've never played, Cart Dog. These are hellish dogs that have no limbs and are basically just being held like think about like how a dog stands like that but body position no legs with like leather straps just supporting the torso and it's built inside of a like just a boxed framework of wood with wheels on it it's just a dog in the shape of a box, there's no glass. Like you could reach through and it could totally wheel up and bite you because it's from hell. But what a weird design. Yeah, that was pretty odd. You know what I'm, I'm surprised didn't make it? And there's, there's probably tons and tons and tons of weird enemies out there, right? But like we didn't get Birdo on this list, which I've always found to be a really Anything weird ass Rayman. enemy. 
Uh, anything from Rayman. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, another one would be, um, God, what was the game that we played? Uh, it was on the Turbo Graphics. Remember? And we had to beat the house. I'm so bad at remembering games. Splatterhouse 3. Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse. And we had that house that we had to fight, or it was like literally a room and like oh, daggers yeah, yeah, were and flying. Oh, yeah, yeah, and stuff would fly at you. That's a good one. That was actually a really interesting boss fight, too. Yeah, so I've, there's some really weird things on that game, too. I mean, I know it's mainly enemies is kind of a key thing yeah. here, but yeah, I mean, there's tons of games out there that just have really odd end enemies. You've got the, uh, the Great and Mighty Pooh from Conqueror's Bad Fur Day. Uh, that could totally make this list as well as one of those like odd enemies. I mean, the guy's literally singing about being a poop and slinging crap at you, like, and you got to dodge it. Like, there's crazy, crazy enemies out there. Yeah, so I'm trying uh, to think of like at least one other to say in my mind is just coming totally blank. <laughs> Anything in Resident Evil, like Resident Evil games pass? It was kind of weird that you thought. I mean, they put that one on here. For the most part, the Resident Evil enemies are all kind of normy. Yeah, it's yeah. mostly as zombies. Nor- and... As normy as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got like the, uh, what was that game that you played? Uh, God, I keep thinking Xenoblade Chronicles, but it's not Xenoblade. Uh, Xenogears. No, Xenogears is an RPG. What's that one you played? It was a couple of years, years past. I played Zone of the Enders. Zone of the Enders. I, the Z and the X always yeah. gets me on that. Those are just big mechs. Gotcha. Everything's pretty normy in there. Hmm. Yeah. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but there's definitely some weird enemies out there. Games that I played and... Weird crap. Uh, Dark Souls probably be a, a good good set of enemies in there that are weird. Uh, for sure, Bloodborne probably has some weird crap kind of lying that, yeah, around. Rom. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely some good stuff out there. Uh, definitely let us know in the comments any weird enemies that you've come across in games that you found to be pretty creepy and uh, or just bizarre. blatantly Don't bizarre. Don't yeah. with the game world. Yeah, like babies running around and like trying to stab you and stuff that's probably something i guess you could say like you could love the criticism that like the whole paper mario origami king like you're finding like pencils and staplers yeah and stuff or in a blues clues like we're about to talk about in bed uh shovel and pale uh they have no hands the greatest enemies greatest enemies they hop around and uh they have created uh creatures or uh what is it uh farm animals with no hands. How creepy is that? How are they able to create this, Ryan? So let's dig into our inflation deflation week. Ryan played Blue's Clues. So his I big musical that. on the PS1. Yeah. It's uh, developed by Terraglyph Interactive Studios, published by THQ and Mattel Interactive, released back in March 1st, 2001. It is the only Blue's Clues game, which seems crazy. It seems like, especially having played the game now, like, Blue's Clues, especially amongst children's edutainment, is the perfect setting for games. Uh, I'm very shocked that they only made the one. I was only able to find one review uh, on GameSpot. Um, I should probably look up who that review was by, but he gave it a 3.2, and he said to, you know, appreciated anybody checking out his uh, one review on there. Uh, why don't you talk for a minute while I look this review up? Uh, yeah, you're uh, more than welcome to look that one up. So, uh, dude, I got to see you play this firsthand. Didn't have to touch the controller one point, which was fantastic. And I got to say, uh, for a Blue's Clues game, this is okay. actually pretty on par for a, a high-quality edutainment game for kids. So this... Uh, <laughs> I remember being dared to play this game. Good God, this game was terrible. Uh, 3.2 from... Uh, Conquer Rules 2334 on July 10th, 2009. 
So if you're if you're out there listening, conquer rules two, three, three, four. Uh, I feel your pain, but I would definitely give this higher than a three point two. Honestly, a hundred percent truth. Uh, it wasn't bad. Like hopping around. I remember watching a ton of Blues Clues. Like when I was probably too old to be watching Blues Clues because I was like visiting my little cousins during the summer or something. And it's like, dude, if it was on TV, I'd watch it. Like. I watched tons of Dora over there and stuff too. It didn't matter none to me. I played my Game Boy and just let it run in the background. But like, you know, the format of like hopping all around inside the house, outside the house, going and finding all the different like characters, uh, trying to find like the different clues and trying to interact with like different environmental stuff. Like, I feel like this game would have benefited from a lot more um ability to interact with things in the environment i mean obviously this would not have been a large budget game and there probably would not have been the need to really put a lot of quality into here but uh it definitely wasn't offensive it definitely didn't play badly everything was like pretty easy to understand uh graphically i mean weird smooth shiny steve is a little weird yeah, but I mean, definitely better than if they had done some like pre-rendered like mocap, you know, real video stuff like they used to do on some PC games and stuff. Like, I'm glad they didn't go that route. Well, in this one, you really can do that, right? Because the entire time you had Blue following, or Steve was following Blue yeah. the entire time, so you can't have like some pre-rendered uh, uh, video in there. So I thought it was actually, in terms of what they did, it worked out uh, for this and. <laughs> Dude, like, honestly, I'm right there with you. If you're looking at it from a, a kid's standpoint, edutainment, like a parent looking to buy this for a kid on PS1, this is actually pretty good quality. I think you could really take this. Like, I don't even know if Blue's Clues is still popular, but, like, with how much more popular video games as a medium for children is now. Like, I mean, the PS1 was huge for kids, but I feel like it was huge for kids that were older than playing Blue's Clues, you know? So, like, maybe PS1 Blue's Clues didn't have a lot of crossover, but, like, uh, I mean, a DS Blue's Clues game that had, like, maybe some randomization where it's, like, instead of just playing the same story, maybe you come up with, like, here's the house, the environment, like, we'll just pepper all kinds of clues throughout here, and whatever clue they run into first, that'll be that, like, episode or that whatever, and just kind of have it random or discoverable. It had a really... Um, South Park RPG vibe because it it's did. like this environment that you know and you're familiar with and you get to like fully explore it and kind of be in control and see all the familiar characters and stuff like weird nostalgia pulls for such an old game and for something that was supposed to be like painful and punishment like Mrs. Spider's Tea Party absolute stupid horrible waste of time this not bad. Like, I really think that, like, a 3.2 is being deliberate. Like, maybe maybe I'm being generous, too. Like, I wouldn't give it super high ratings because it didn't do anything exceptionally well. Yeah. And there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. But, I mean, to say that this is anything less than just, like, fair, especially once you get to the pricing. Like, so, <laughs> surprisingly... uh. Uh, so anyways, completed box 607 right now, surprisingly, was at 827 back in August 2019. And that's kind of going down now. 
Uh, loose 451, and that peaked at 747 back in November of 2015, and that's kind of holding where it's at. So, I mean, I I guess I'm surprised that it's over $5. Like, that seems interesting. And even more so, uh, the PAL PS1 is actually over 20 bucks. And the cheapest version is the loose PS1 at $451. Um, to see that people buy this for 20 bucks or, you know, even close to like 10 bucks, including shipping and handling, I guess, for a complete inbox US version, like that's shocking to me that this has even that much. Like when we were at that game store the other day and I was like, oh, they've got some GBA games and it's all this kind of level of stuff, like just yeah. garbage that nobody wants. Like, I don't think that you could go to a store that wasn't like a serious game store and find Game Boy Advance games that were worth paying money for. Yeah. You probably can't. Well, and that shop so that, you know, they had their issues and why they're in that specific location. Uh, once they open up into their old location again, it's like five times the size of that. Yeah, I, I figured it was. I always remember it looking very big from the outside, but I've only ever been in that area on like a Sunday and they were always closed, so I never was able to go in yeah. and check it out. Actually. Yeah, they actually have a very big shop. Uh, and they have a lot more games and arcades and other stuff like that that they um, that they have on hand. Uh, so what we saw is just kind of a little bit of everything uh, tied into their new location. Uh, but, dude, I mean, I'm right there with you. This game, honestly, I think it's... I think it's deflated, to be honest, uh, because at $6, you know, for what you are getting in a high-quality edutainment-type game, I could expect something like this to be in the 10 range very easily, and people would still pay for it for their kids. This is a game, yeah, if you are, like, a game collector, and you've got little kids, and you want to get them just, like, hands on a controller and doing some stuff, if Blue's Clues is still a thing and they like it, I would highly encourage you, get this game, sit down with your kid and they can learn how to like do some basic adventure game stuff. Like there's a lot of quality in here for that reason. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with you on that. So I'm going to go ahead and say deflated shockingly, shockingly, I'm, shockingly deflated. deflated. That should just be the headline. Shockingly <laughs> deflated. Uh, yeah. So this is interesting to watch you play. I didn't have to touch it and that was okay with me. So the next thing is if he doesn't finish Odyssey, he's got to play some Spice Girls. There's a dance game that Spice Girls made years ago. It is actually pretty bad. Uh, you would have to play that. Yeah. So hopefully you finish Odyssey so we don't have to go that route. Uh, we'll but, probably wind up playing it someday down the road anyways. Yeah. I'm thinking uh, next week what we can do is maybe play around with my new 1UP arcade. I know. I still have not had the chance to do that. Yet. Yeah. So we can go ahead and play with that and, uh, and get our experience on that. See how it goes. So... All right. Well, uh, this has been episode 143 of the Game Flares podcast. Thanks for listening on your favorite podcast application and leave a five-star review. Uh, always appreciate it. But my name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.